Well, I think there needs to be a baseline of an experience that would make all your customers want to do business with you. And once you establish what that line is, now you understand what's going to attract them. Once we look at who our customers are, and you know, it's, there's the old 20-80 rule, 80% of your customers, I'm sorry, 80% of your business is going to be coming from 20% of your customers. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know with every business, but I do know there are certain customers that are great and some that are lower level customers that doesn't mean they're not going to one day be bigger customers. So let me ask, uh, I mean, if you're constantly nurturing the lower ones to become more valuable to you, which is great, uh, that's what you should be thinking about doing. And the ones that are currently value, make sure they stay with you. And we are on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the CVO Live, the podcast where we are focusing on the customers and help you increase customer lifetime value. Today, we have a heavy hitter in the field of customer centricity, Shep Hyken. He's a best-selling author. He wrote many books in the field of customer service, and he's also a world-renowned expert and speaker that helps organizations to level up their customer service game. You'll be amazed by this episode. We talked about the wallet share and what does it mean to have a truly loyal customers. We also touched on the topic of how to get customers come back again and again, thanks to his latest book called I'll Be Back. We also touched on the seven customer service habits. My favorite one is how to turn misery into magic, and also how leaders can orchestrate a customer-centric culture. Let's get to it. All right, so Shep, the, the first question before, uh, before we dive into, into the nitty-gritty of customer value optimization and how to get more customer-centric, the first question that I have to you is how you've got into, the, into this arena. It's not, it's not the main... Uh, or it wasn't the main arena, but nowadays uh, it's getting, uh, we're getting to it. So this is, uh, believe it or not, a long, long time ago, 40 years ago, I started my business. And I know I don't look that old, but uh, that's when it all started right out of uh, college. Um, I was looking for something to do, and I was always drawn toward taking care of customers. I had my own business when I was a teenager. I, I did birthday party magic shows. My parents taught me to write thank you notes, follow up, make sure they were happy, which is like getting feedback, uh, acting on the feedback, which is process improvement. I had no idea that's what it was called, but that's exactly what it was. So when I saw a couple of motivational speakers on stage talking about sales and goal setting, I said, wow, I, I could do that. What, but what would I talk about? And I went to the bookstore and I said, wow, there's all these books on customer service. When I say all these books, there was like five. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy these. I'm going to, and it's exactly what I, I believed in. It's everything that I had been taught by my parents that was making me successful as you know, a business person, uh, as I grew my business. And, and by the way, uh, you know, the birthday party magic show business, as a kid, you don't think, oh, you make, make a few dollars. I was doing really well. I was making essentially what a full-time living would be for an adult, but I was only like 13 or 14 years old, and I was working hard. Anyway, I learned this is what it takes to take care of people, 
And uh, so we served them well. I had no idea that it would morph into what it is to today. Uh, I focused primarily on customer service. Back then, uh, people would hire you for different reasons. They were high sales trainers, speakers on leadership. And I came out with the idea that I wanted to do customer service and there wasn't a lot of us back then. So uh, I, I managed to get in early and stayed in the game and it morphed and evolved into what it is today. You know, today we focused on customer experience, customer service, which are very closely tied together. There's service within the experience that customers, uh, ex, you know, get and companies try to, uh, you know, uh, build a, a strong experience for their customers. And we just help our clients do that. We love doing it. That's great. So the uh, we've had multiple uh, conversations at the CVO Live about the the need to provide first the value to the customers in order to to get value from the customers. However, there are many companies and many leaders which are which think that the customer value optimization it's all about sucking the most uh, value from the customers. How do you how do you see this? How, what's your uh, position about it? Well, I always believe you take care of the customer first and the business will follow. So if you are trying to suck the the money out of the customer, if you will, uh, you're chasing money and not people or not accounts or not companies that who would be your customers. As soon as you start focusing on the needs of the customer, what they want, what they expect and how to deliver it the right way, recognize that that is paramount. Without that, I mean, you, you can't a customer is not going to want to do business with you. You know, years ago, I wrote a book titled Cult of the Customer. And in the book, I told a very, and I'll do a very quick version of this story. There were three entrepreneurs and, a, and they found a, a bottle. They rubbed it and a genie pops out of the bottle and says, well, there's three of you. I'll give each of you one wish. And they all wanted to open an ice cream store. And the first uh, entrepreneur said, I want the best ice cream. I know if I have ice cream that's really good, people will line up. And the genie said, I will only grant the wish if the wish will actually work. And he said, good ice cream does not guarantee success. The second genie said, well, I want a great location. I mean, the second entrepreneur said to the genie, I want a great location. And the genie said, even with a great location, that will not guarantee success. And the third entrepreneur thought for a moment and she said, you know what I want? I want customers. That's what I want. And the genie smiled and said, that will make your company a success. And that's what we need. We need customers. And if we are chasing dollars instead of customers, we aren't always going to reach our customers. The other thing, Dr. Ted Levitt from Harvard Business School used to talk about this. Uh, he, he's passed away, but it was in his book, Marketing Imagination. And he talked about it quite a bit in his interviews that the function of a business is often confused with the goal of a business. If you ask people what the function of a business is, most of them are going to say to make money. But that's really the goal. The function is the acquisition to get and then keep, maintain those customers. So you get and keep your customers. And if you confuse the function with the goal, you don't always reach the goal. So that's a little bit of a long-winded way of saying focus on the customer and perhaps the sale and the money will follow. That's great. So uh, I wanted to ask you something regarding the uh, uh, your your uh, take on treating the, the all the customers as important. So basically, you you're, you're stating that uh, if you treat your customers as outsiders, I think they'll find a competitor who doesn't. But the question is, should you be focusing on 
all the customers? Should you be prioritizing? Do you have the resources? Because many, many entrepreneurs and many companies are, are hedging their bets. You know, they, they say, you know, we need to pick our battles. We have low value customers. We have very important customers. What's your take on this? Well, I think there needs to be a baseline of an experience that would make all your customers want to do business with you. And once you establish what that line is, now you understand what's going to attract them. Once we look at who our customers are, and you know, it's, there's the old 20-80 rule, 80% of your customers, I'm sorry, 80% of your business is going to be coming from 20% of your customers. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know with every business, but I do know there are certain customers that are great and some that are lower level customers that doesn't mean they're not going to one day be bigger customers. So let me ask, uh, I mean, if you're constantly nurturing the lower ones to become more valuable to you, which is great, uh, that's what you should be thinking about doing. And the ones that are currently value, make sure they stay with you. Uh, the other thing I, I guess is important to recognize is that you can look at the revenue per customer, but you can also look at what the revenue, uh, well, let me make sure I say this the right way. Uh, essentially, I'll call it wallet share. It's like market share. Yeah. Uh, and market share, when a company is trying to compete against somebody else, like Pepsi competes against Coca-Cola, for market share, they want as many customers as possible. If there's a million customers what percentage of those customers are theirs? That's market share. Wallet share is if I am a customer, what percentage of the money am, that I have to spend on whatever it is you sell am I actually giving you? Am I 100% faithful to you with my dollars or am I spreading it out over others? So I, I look at it, whether it's a small customer or a big customer, I want to do such a good job that that customer is willing to give me 100% of their wallet share when it comes to whatever it is that I sell. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, of course. It, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking at the, the, uh, at the world from, the, from pretty much the same lenses, even though we, we call this uh, customer lifetime value and uh, uh, wallet share. Right. At the now, end of the day, how much can you get from... Uh, right, and, and lifetime value is different than wallet share. Okay, uh, wallet share, if I can... So years and years ago, Coca-Cola had their annual report and they talked about market share and they talked about, in this case, body share. What percentage of the liquid going into the human body was a Coca-Cola product, okay? And wouldn't it be cool if, I mean, and by the way, they were, it was more than just soft drinks like sodas. They also had their waters and juices and, and yeah. derivative products that they created. So if we can get somebody to, you know, 100% body share. And that's really so I, I think that's important to recognize. If you've got a huge customer, but they're spreading their wealth with your competitors, then you don't have loyalty. You don't have, uh, I mean, that customer is at risk at leaving. But regardless of the size of the customer, if you've got 100% of their business based on whatever it is that you sell them, I think that you're in a great position to grow and nurture and become a partner with that customer not just a, a you know somebody that's a, a consumer that buys when they need it. Our goal is to create relationships with customers. By the way, in the B two B world or the B two C world, I don't care what you call it. The goal is to make that customer want to come back and do business with you instead of a comp uh, a competitor. What are you doing to make sure that happens, regardless of how big or small they are? 
That's right. Uh, Shep, I wanted to ask you regarding the turning the disgruntled customers into brand evangelists. So how, how do you do that? I, I'm also a big fan of it. I've had my share of uh, stories as an e-commerce entrepreneur. I've sent like 3,000 birthday cakes to all the pissed off customers, but let, <laughs> let me hear your story. Well, you said disgruntled customers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, everybody, I mean, the, it's basically how do you handle a problem or a complaint or an issue? The goal is not to just fix the problem. The goal is to restore confidence. Anybody can fix the problem, and it's the way you go about it. Uh, are you doing it with the right attitude? So there's this five-step process, and attitude is part of it. We want to do business with people we know that care about us. So five things have to happen. Uh, the first two, doesn't matter what order they're in. You apologize and acknowledge the problem. I'm really sorry that happened. I would be upset if that happened to me as well. You know, just acknowledge it. Number three is to discuss what a resolution would be. Can you fix it immediately or is it something that's going to take time? Are you going to have to get back to them with information? Share the plan. Share the fix. Let them know that this is the process that's going to happen. The fourth step is the, the right attitude. And I always talk about an attitude of ownership. The people that I talk to in a company, if, they, if I feel that they have some level of control and that they're there to take care of me and they're not saying, hey, it's not my fault. I just work here or, you know, that's above my pay grade. No, I want somebody that is going to take ownership of my problem and give me the confidence that they're going to resolve it for me. And the fifth is urgency. How quickly can I do this? So you've got to apologize, acknowledge, or acknowledge and apologize. Then you've got fix it or discuss the resolution with the right attitude, an attitude of ownership, creating confidence for that customer. And how fast can you get it done? Can we act with speed and urgency? When you do these five things, it doesn't matter if it's a tiny problem like I'm calling you because my package didn't arrive today to a crisis that a company might have. If you look at how all of these problems are resolved, big and small, you'll start to see there's a pattern. And, and, you, and if you look at the five-step process that I outlined, most of the time, that pattern includes these five elements. So again, acknowledge, apologize, fix it, own it, and act with urgency. Excellent. I love it. So I, I wanted to ask you regarding the uh, ongoing uh, and how to turn ongoing feedback from, from the customers into opportunities because there are many companies see the customer service departments as a cost, even though that could be a profit center for, for the company. Oh yeah. So but you, you've now, you've asked like two or three questions in one question. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. let's, let's first address uh, the feedback issue. Uh, we just recently did a survey and I added a whole section and I do surveys every year. We interview thousands of consumers and we added a whole section in on surveys. And one of the reasons, and I can't tell you what the numbers are because they don't have them in front of me, but I looked at it and I was surprised. One of the reasons customers don't fill out surveys, which gives you the data, the feedback that you need to know whether you're doing a good job is because they don't think you're going to do anything with it if they give you the information. Or they feel that all you want is for them to say nice things and you know what? You don't need to waste your time with that. Or your survey's too long, so they're just not going to fill it out. Or your survey's too long. There's a percentage of customers that admitted that after receiving either more than one survey, in other words, too many surveys, or too long of a survey, that they just not only decided to not do business or to not fill out the survey, but also 
to not do business with the company because they didn't like the way the surveys were presented to them. Holy cow, that's an eye-opener for me, which should be for everyone else. Be careful with the survey. Realize the survey could be the last impression you make with your customer before they decide to do business with you again. It should be a positive experience. So if I promise you it's going to be three questions that will take less than one minute, I might fill out that survey. Unlike some of the companies that I do business with where they ask if I'll fill out a survey and 15 minutes later, I'm going, when is this thing going to end? And I abandon it and I will never fill out another survey. As a matter of fact, leaves a sour taste in my mouth. So that's question number one. So the other question you had was, oh gosh, now I've... Uh, how you get going and how to turn the customer service from a cost center to a profit center. Thanks oh, right, right. Great question. So in my predictions for 2023, and I've alluded to this before, but I really made it real clear that the C-suite is starting to recognize that customer service is not a department. It's more of a philosophy that runs throughout the entire organization. And more importantly, that customer support department, which is what we've typically called it or something like that, is really a revenue generation department if done the right way. It's more than just resolving issues just so customers will keep doing business with us and, you know, and fix their problem. It's, it's you know, creating loyalty by the way we take care of them. But more importantly is to recognize that when we have their trust because of the way we handle them, we have opportunity to sell them more to upsell, cross-sells, ethically, of course. Depending yeah. upon the size of the company um, and how it's set up, we can also look at customers in a way, let's say we have thousands of customers and I get a call from a customer and I know this customer's problem is the same problem that 5,000 other customers have had. This customer's profile is exactly the same as those 5,000 customers. I should be able to predict what that customer is going to ask me before they even ask me the question because I know based on their profile, who this customer is. Yeah. More importantly, I know what they're going to buy from me in the future. I know what questions they haven't even thought about asking that they will eventually ask. Why not start to nurture that relationship at this moment and take advantage of what we know about this customer who doesn't even know his or herself what it's involved because they match up with so many other of your customers. When you have that data, you can start to look at that customer and say, okay, this customer, you know, I'm, for example, I'm looking at a camera right now. Uh, and if I've got a problem with my camera, I call and I'm just like a million other customers are going to say, well, this is how you fix it. By the way, have you thought about upgrading to this? It's not going to cost you much money. And all of a sudden it's like, huh, why wouldn't I want to do that? Because my profile is the same as others. This support agent is able to, I guess, nurture that relationship and, um, build on the experience that the company has with other customers to make my experience better and increase revenue as a result. Fantastic. Shep, how do we convince more companies to, to adopt this? Because we, we are all seeing that uh, we, we are buying things, we are customers, right? So, and we can see that we are not uh, well-treated. We can see those type of hiccups. It's so obvious. However... Yeah. We, we need to change, we need to pro produce this kind of movement towards customer centricity. How do we do that? Where do wow, we that, that's a big thing. So uh, there's so many different directions I can go on this, but let's start with the culture. The C-suite has to define what it is they want their company to be like. Uh, 
it's a uh, very simple. Uh, what if you want to be customer focused? Uh, I, I'll give you a quick little six step simple process. Number one, define what the vision is in one sentence or less. The Ritz Carlton refers to their credo. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's what they're all about. Yeah, they're a beautiful hotel with beautiful rooms. But when it comes to the people taking care of the people, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's number one, you define it. Number two, you communicate it. It's not something that happens like, you know, we're going to make it the, the theme of the year. No, this is forever. It's like your vision and value statement. And oftentimes that vision of customer experience is found in one of those mission, vision, value statements. Pull it out, but make it one sentence long or shorter so that everybody can remember it. So it's really easy to be able to focus on it and make it your North Star. So define it, communicate it, train everybody to it. What's their role in making this happen? Number four, leadership needs to demonstrate the behaviors they want. Number five uh, is to defend it when it's out of alignment. If somebody or some group is out of alignment, number six, if it's working, celebrate it. So you create it. In other words, you define the vision. Number two, you communicate it. Number three, train everybody. Number four, be the role model. You can't expect people to be acting one way if you act a different way. And number five, uh, uh, defend it. In other words, uh, keep people in alignment. Number six is celebrate it. Now, that's step one of what we're talking about. How do you create that You know, customer-focused culture is really important. Number two, uh, and and to you know talk about how you you move things uh, on the needle. So we've defined the culture, but what can we really do to make it better for our customers? So I'm going to give you another process, a set of questions to ask. Get together with the group, uh, C-suite, stakeholders, frontliners, salespeople. Sit down in a room and discuss these questions. First question, why does somebody do business with us instead of a competitor? Number two, why do they do business with a competitor instead of us? By the way, do not make these easy answers like, you know, why do they do business with us? Well, we got great people. Well, everybody says that. Give me a specific, tangible reason what makes you different. Is, is it a different product that you have that no one else has? Is it a, a feature? Is it a process that, you know, others don't have in your industry? So that number two, one and two, ask those questions. Number three, next question. If the competitor is doing something that we don't do but should be doing, can we do it? Should we do it? And, and, and if we're going to do it, make it our own. Okay, so make it a little twist, something a little different. That's number three. Number four question, what companies outside of our industry do we love to do business with? I mean, and why? Okay, I mean, everybody, I ask this question and a bunch of people say, oh, we love Amazon. Why do you love Amazon? Well, they trust Amazon. Uh, they know that Amazon is going to deliver. They know if there's a problem, they're, they're going to fix it and take care of it. There's lots of reasons why people love Amazon. Well, get really specific with what those reasons are, which leads you to the next question. Are any of these reasons that we love these companies outside of our industry, things that we can do in our company, which means now we're not copying competitors. We're copying best in class from outside of our industry, which means we are going to be bringing in ideas, processes, whatever that's different than our competition is doing. And finally, number six, if you've done these five questions, I want you to ask yourself and work through it and started to implement some of the ideas that you came up with and, and, and that you learned. I want you to ask yourself the same question you started with, minor difference. Now that we've done this, why would someone do business with us instead of a competitor? And I think uh, 
if you start to look at that process by asking those questions, I think you'll start to look for, you'll find opportunity to create a better experience for your customers. Fantastic. So you start with the culture, which means the leadership team must be aligned and adopt the customer centric uh, uh, value. And uh, that means they need to understand the economic value. Many, oh, many yeah. leaders don't get it. So they, they look at it as a, as a cost. They don't look at it as a fu- investment in the future. They don't see that any customer can refer to, I don't know, 0.2 other customers. Therefore, the value of any customer is 20% higher if you look at the network effect that you have with your existing customers. Data is important and research is important. So one of the reasons we do our annual research is to understand the way consumers think. By the way, B2B, whoever your customer is in the B2B world, they are also a consumer and they're comparing whatever experience they have with you to the best experience they've had with any company, regardless of the type of business it is. Keep that in mind. So uh, one of the things we tell our clients when they're uh, like, I'll talk to the head of a support center and they go, man, I need this technology. How do I convince the CFO, uh, the chief financial officer or the CEO that um, I need this and they need to invest in it? I said, well, number one, look at the general research out there. Um, and, and it's not going to, dip, you know, actually apply to you, but in general terms, it does, you know, 83% of customers do whatever. What are the behaviors of the masses? Now, if we were to use that information and look at our customer base, are they aligning? And if they are, what would happen if we increased uh, revenue because we saved customers, we reduced churn, we increased customers, word of mouth marketing, started to bring in more customers. We can start to look at trends and numbers. CFOs, the C-suite, they love numbers. So before you can ask them for money, you need to show them what your numbers are and what your numbers could be if we implemented a technology. And this is what it's going to cost to do so. And if it makes financial sense to do so, why wouldn't they want to do it? So you've got to present your case with numbers. And I know that's completely different than getting the customer to give us, you know, a high five and come back and do business with us. We feel good about that. But at the end of the day, everything that is happening in business is tied to a number. Increased revenue, lower churn uh, in the call center, average handle time, first call resolution. Everything's a number. So figure out your numbers, figure out what the return on your investment is when you start to uh, focus on creating this culture or buying a technology and then, um, you know, reap the benefit of that when it happens. Shep, I wanted to to I, I I want to focus a bit on customer amazement. You've wrote a book about it. You've wrote many books, fantastic books about it. But you you you've wrote a book in particular that I want to focus a bit on. It's called "Be Amazing or Go Home." So yeah. let us know about uh, a few customer service service habits. I, I I love that book, and I think it's. Uh, uh, it's undervalued. I mean, I, I would put it as a, let's say, as a manual to all the customer success teams. Well, thank too. you very much. So, uh, amaze, uh, be amazing or go home. That's the one you're referring to. Yeah. yeah. The uh, I, When I wrote that, uh, so our mantra, remember I talked about you to define your vision uh, of what it is. The Ritz-Carlton, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Ours is always be amazing. We want to always be amazing for our clients. We want to teach our clients to be amazing for their customers, clients, guests, whatever they want to call them. 
And then we also want to be amazing internally and take care of each other. One day, my assistant came into the office late and I thought, okay, no big deal till she started doing it every day. And I mean, not just a a minute or two late, but really late. And I brought her in and I said, what's going on? And she says, well, I moved far away. And uh, first thing I asked her is, uh, you know, is I want to, you know, told her, look, you're, you're late. And other people were watching her. And I recognized that if I allow her to keep coming in late and not say anything and try to fix the problem, everybody else is going to start following her because she's the lead in her office other than me. So if it's okay for her to show up late, what other habits? And by the way, that's what this book is about. Habits. There's seven, and, and there, and I used, and I don't know, coincidentally, the seven habits, like a Stephen Covey book, it didn't yeah. have anything to do with that. It had to do with these habits. And within the habits, I came up with these sub habits. But one of them is, you know, show up ready to be amazing. And that means you show up on time. What does on time look like in your business? Uh, so she kept showing up late. And one day I talked to her and, and I said, what's, what's our mantra here? And she goes, to always be amazing. I said, does showing up late every day, even after I've talked to you, is that amazing behavior? And she goes, no, it's not. I said, then the choice is simple. You need to be amazing or go home. And she goes, oh, that's a great title for a book. Write that down. <laughs> so that's how the book title came about. But the, the habit was, what is she doing? And she said, well, I keep leaving earlier every day. I go, see, amazing people don't do that. Amazing people go the other direction. They get, they leave really, really early. And when they realize they got there too early, they start leaving later every day. They think the opposite, you know, and, and they, she thought, oh, that's a really good idea. And then, of course, the next day she showed up really, really early. And then she says, well, I don't need to leave that. And she found where the balance was. But that's the story that started the book. The different habits are you know, showing up on time. Uh, if your stores open at eight o'clock and you walk in there at eight o'clock and there's people standing outside ready to come in and you unlock the door and you open it up and people walk in, you still have to turn on the lights, you know, get the cash register ready or do whatever it is that you do to get the store ready. You really got to show up before eight o'clock to be open at eight. Okay. So that's that habit. You need to be willing to accept and embrace feedback. Amazing people love feedback because it allows them to grow, get better, be better, improve their careers, you know, get a raise because they're performing at a higher level. So embrace feedback. They look at, uh, they look at the discipline of creating a good experience. In other words, they don't take shortcuts. They're very disciplined and they know they stay on track and they do what it takes. As soon as you start taking shortcuts, you start looking for shortcuts in every, and by the way, shortcuts are good if it's about streamlining a process. It's a, if it's about hurrying up and getting something done quicker and in the process, maybe frustrating people around you, be it a customer, even a colleague, not good. So there's these, all these great habits. And uh, so there, there's just a few of them. Amazing. What I, uh, what I found, uh, uh, I found something very, let's say, uh, eye-opening for me is that, that, that you, you are not focusing only on the, uh, let's say, shallow things and uh, uh, those, uh, those things that are common sense, but also you, you, gra- you, you get into uh, this habit of turning misery uh, into magic. So please tell us a bit about right. how, how you do that. Sure. And I alluded to this earlier with that idea that you, you know, you acknowledge, apologize, fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, um, the attitude of owning what comes your way, you know, it may not be your fault, but it's your opportunity. And then you act with urgency. So, yeah. and that's, that was one of the big chapters is that amazing people turn misery into magic. Now, misery isn't always a complaint. Uh, I just gave you the process for resolving a complaint or a problem. Sometimes misery is people are just having a bad day. People are just, uh, maybe they're not happy in their personal life and they're just, it's, they're having a tough time. May, and maybe there is an issue, but for that particular person, you might need to handle things differently. When the pandemic hit in 2020 and basically the world was shutting down, the number of calls that support centers received worldwide increased dramatically. Why? Because whether customers knew it or not, one of the reasons they decided to make the phone call is they just wanted to talk to somebody. And if that person on the other end was, was not friendly uh, and, and quick to get the person off the phone, that was not the experience that that customer was really hoping for. Instead, uh, the buzzword or the big word for 19 or 2020, 19, 2020 and even 21 was empathy. You know, what can we do to empathize and sympathize with customers to make them feel like we're connected with them? By the way, that doesn't mean spending a lot of time more so than normal. It's just the attitude that you have. If it's a colleague, a customer, anybody you're interacting with on the phone, uh, via chat, uh, in person, it doesn't matter. If you can express some level of care, concern, empathy, and sympathy, you're going to win that customer over emotionally. And by the way, I know in B2B world, it's little, a little bit less emotion than in the consumer world. However, I believe that the best companies are able to connect with the customer emotionally. Even in the biggest B2B manufacturers, they want to create relationships where that customer says, why would I want to do any business anywhere else? I like them. And more importantly, yeah. I trust them. That's really important. That's amazing. Shep, I think we could uh, we could go on like this for hours. Uh, I can. I can. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just want to add a, a little something over here on, and build a bit on what you've just said regarding the, the empathy and the, the time that you spend with your customers. Uh, many uh, customer service teams are, are looking at those KPIs and uh, the, the, the risk here is when you look at uh, time to resolution, time to first contact, when you measure all these nitty gritty things and you're uh, hyper analyzing everything, you, are, you, you can lose some opportunities to, to, to be human and to make the customers feel like you really care about them. So at some point you need to, to, to draw the line uh, not so strict about those uh, those KPIs. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to also consider this. Um, I work with a company that their goal was to streamline their support department. And I said, I want you to think about how people like to do business. There's an old adage. People want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. I can get you to know me really quickly. If I'm friendly, you're going to like me. And in our part of the world over here in North America, we are very quick to, to know and like people more so than in other parts of the world. We tend to, you know, uh, accept people uh, and, and trust the advertising. However, that doesn't mean we trust the company. The trust part is the hardest part. So that is an emotional connection. And if you can create a better customer experience, we, 
we've got a great stat here, and I'll read this. This might be a great way for us to kind of finish out. By the way, if anybody wants a copy of my research, all you do is go to hiking.com, download it. It's free. The new 2023 report will be out in about a month. Uh, but here, uh, it is uh, 83% trust of the people. And we surveyed thousands of people. They trust a company or brand more if they provide an excellent customer service experience. That is going to build trust. Trust is an emotional connection. That's the only way you're going to get loyalty is if you can create that emotional connection. So focus on getting that customer to trust you. If getting them off the phone fast, if you think that's going to get them to trust you, no. But listening to them, answering their question, looking at their account. If you're an agent, you can look on their screen and you can make recommendations. If you can make sure that when they get off the phone, you created the experience that would make them Number one, want to do business with you again. And I love the question, uh, some of the airlines, and now I'm seeing other companies ask it on a survey, uh, a real simple survey. We have one question we want to ask you based on your most recent interaction with this person that helped you. Would you want them to help you again? Wow, what a great question. And if their job is to get you off the phone quickly to get take care of the next customer, chances are they're losing opportunity to build that connection with the customer. That's right. Shep, thanks a lot for your presence in the CVO Live. I'm uh, really glad that we've managed to, to make this happen. For uh, all of you out there, go grab some books from, from Shep. Uh, you, you, have, uh, your, uh, you have the I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers. That's to come the most back. recent one. Yep, I'll Be this Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Yeah, so you, uh, I think you should go there, find Shep's book, go on uh, www get uh, get to follow uh, Shep on the on social media. By the way, where are you the most uh, uh, present? Wow, I'm very active in LinkedIn and Twitter. Those are the two big ones, and of course, you know, I I, I do TikTok and Instagram, and why not? Because it looks like a lot of fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Seriously. And if you want to buy the books, depending on where you are in the world, it might be easier just to go to Amazon uh, because they have a, if you're on the other side of the world, you order it from us. A lot of times we order it from Amazon (laughs) because they are so much more reliable than every other uh, way to get it to you. Yep. Shep, thanks again. Thanks. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to work with you. Thank you so much. Excellent. So that being said, thanks everyone for uh, listening and for uh, watching this episode. See you in the next one and all the best from Bucharest.